0: Hey everyone. My name is Josh Proctor and this is the Life on Side B podcast. On this podcast, we are going to discuss as the name pretty much clearly states, what life as side B LGBT Christians is really like. For those of you who don't know, side B is a term used to refer to Christians who are LGBT, attracted to the same sex or have gender dysphoria, yet hold a traditional view of sexuality and marriage, and therefore live according to that view. Every episode, I will be talking with different Side B Christians about different aspects of their life, faith, and experiences. My goal with this podcast is to show that being Side B is not this depressing life of self-hatred and loneliness, but rather it can be pretty dang beautiful and amazing. Now, every season, we will be focusing on a different theme of sexuality and faith issues related to the lives of Side B Christians. This season though, I am really excited because we are going to be looking at different ways Side B Christians live out their sexuality and find intimacy and community. Each of these interviews has been a huge encouragement, even for me, as I navigate what community and belonging look like in my own life. You will be able to see that there are so many different ways that Side B Christians can live with joy within their faith. And in that way, I hope it can be an encouragement for you too. So with that, let's head into today's episode. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks again for listening. I am here with my great friend, Joe Miner. Joe, thanks so much for being here.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, So to start, can you just give a little bit of an introduction about
1: yourself? Yeah, so let's see. Hi, my name is Joe. I am 23. I am a gay Christian. Grew up in Albany, New York. Still live in Albany, New York. Um, I have lots of student debts. That's fun. And (laughs) and I know, honestly. (laughs) So, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, um, I work. I read books. I like to drink. uh, Well, I like to drink and I (laughs) like to drink tea. Um, Yeah, so, you know, living life. What book are you currently reading? Um, so I'm in the middle right now. Shoot, I'm so bad with book titles. But it is, oh, Reclaiming the Gospel. I forget who the author is. Um, but basically, or is it reclaim? No, no, not Reclaiming the Gospel. Reconstructing the Gospel. It's less generic than Reclaiming the Gospel. No offense to any book called Reclaiming the Gospel. No, um, but that sounds even more fascinating. Yeah, so it's basically, a, and the tagline is super interesting too. So the tagline is, um what was it something about like reclaiming reclaiming christianity from slaveholder religion or something like that so it's amazing yeah so it really just goes through how whiteness has created what we know to be evangelical christianity today so it's really interesting um it's a lot it's it's i don't know it's really good it's it's a yeah, good overview on racism in the church, how mm. that all plays out. Talks a lot about complicity. So it's really a fascinating read. So love it. Ooh, I'm going to have to add that to my list.
0: You know, I I did my master's in Old Testament and Hebrew studies. And one of the things I was so difficult for me and like, but yet so amazing was the fact of studying you know, Hebrew Bible and everything, a lot of the beginning studies of the Hebrew Bible, when you study it in a master's level, is they're like just deconstructing everything you know about the Bible. Yeah. And then just restructing it again from the understanding of the ancient Israelite view and Near Eastern studies. And it was really difficult because they take so much of and you're like, I thought I was at a Christian school. Is this right. even Christian? <laughs> and, but it's really amazing the things that influence your perspective that you don't even realize influence your perspective, that the history of where, where you know, religion comes from and, and all these different things. And so I'm going to have to add that to my list. Yeah,
1: definitely do. It's a great read.
0: Awesome. Well then, my first question I would actually like to start with as we continue this is you've shared a little bit about yourself. Can you share a little bit more specifically about how you've come to reconcile your faith and sexuality?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's see, I kinda gotta start at the beginning with my faith really. So I became a Christian when I was 15. It was actually really interesting timing when I became a Christian when I found Jesus. I had started to come out to some friends in high school, let the, tell them that I was gay. And literally two weeks later, after I first started telling people, I came to faith. And I came to faith in a very conservative Pentecostal church. And so my first Sunday there, I someone had said from the pulpit, basically, like, oh, well, you know, if if you... If you, ha- I think he used the words like if you have homosexuality, you are, um, you are being oppressed by some sort of demonic forces, things like that, mm-hmm. and so that was a lot for me to take in as someone who was like just coming out. Um, so I essentially went back to the closet, as I think a lot of us do after encounters like that, really. But and so from that moment, I knew that I had to kind of figure out. What to do with my gayness, but I didn't know, I didn't really feel comfortable doing that publicly or with any help from a community. And so, kind of retreated back to the closet and dug through scripture basically. Um, I remember that Sunday going back home and just opening up my Bible and going through some of those uh, quote unquote clobber passages and really mm-hmm. just trying to think about, like, okay, well, what does the Bible say? am I really a horrible person, even if I didn't choose this for myself? Um, and watching endless YouTube videos from like just gay Christians who are putting themselves out there to really begin this conversation. And like after a few years, I, I went from thinking that I had to pray the gay out of my system, That if I prayed hard enough, that if I fasted, that if I confessed to vague, lustful desires enough, that maybe I could reach a point where I'm no longer gay. And that did not work. And I would watch, I watched videos of gay and lesbian and um, all sorts of queer Christians just saying that they had left the quote unquote gay lifestyle. And some people who were in that sort of camp of like ex-gay, pray the gay away, I had seen some videos of people who were like, oh yeah, it didn't work. This led me to depression and things like that. And that terrified me. And so I kind of stopped, I stopped trying to pray that away. Um, I didn't really know what to do with myself still. I, I still felt like I was this dirty, shameful person for waking up in the morning.
0: Yeah.
1: but. I knew that i couldn't I knew that for some reason God's desire was not to change my sexual desires, and I didn't really know what that meant and so over time i I went to college and uh was still in the closet until about my sophomore year of college and just I had a few experiences um just a few just a few things happened in my life at that time where I really had to evaluate like, okay, well, what does being gay actually mean? Um, It's really, I don't know. It's never easy to kind of understand what it means to be gay and Christian, but I think it's especially difficult when you are in love with someone or when you are very attracted to somebody. Um, And so I was wrestling with those kinds of thoughts in college And so I really had to think, and I actually had, I was, real. uh, what am I trying to say? I was faced with the reality that I had to actually think about what this meant, actually pray about what this meant. Uh, Because for a while, I just was so tired from reading the Bible and from praying and um, from trying to, you know, secretly find resources. I I was just exhausted from all that. So I stopped for like a year or two. And So then when I was trying to figure that all out again, I, at that point, had a healthier understanding of scripture because when I was first coming to faith, all I knew of God in the Bible was from my own personal study of a 15-year-old Christian, new closeted gay Christian, and I knew what I was hearing from the pulpit. And the pulpit often sounded really scary and uh, really just sort of antagonistic. And then my own studies were very limited because I knew next to nothing about the Bible at that point. Mm-hmm. And so a few years later, when I was in college, trying to unwrap that again, I was in a little, little bit better a place because at that point I had been a Christian for a few years. I had understood a little bit better how to actually go about reading the Bible um, if you can ever even come to the realize, the, even to the point of knowing how to read the Bible. I don't know if we ever really do. Um, yeah. <laughs> always throws curveballs balls at you. Um, but yeah, so anyway, all to say, um, also I talk in so many circles. So if anyone's listening and they're confused, I'm sorry. Um,
0: no, I promise you we're all good. We're loving perfect. this.
1: Love that. Perfect. <laughs> so I began to understand my faith and sexuality sort of in the terms of my sexuality being a thorn in my flesh like how Paul mentions in uh second Corinthians um yeah and that was really helpful for me at the time because that whole passage of of Paul just you know saying that he's cried three times for this thorn to be removed and God's response wasn't a yes or no it was sort of just a call to trust. And so that really meant a lot to me at the time. And so that that really allowed me to dive into seeking out more resources because then understanding, okay, well, my thorn isn't going away. Um, this is maybe something meant to keep me humble. All right. Like, I think that was a good first step for me to try to unpack my faith in sexuality. And then... You know, the internet is was honestly has been such a good tool for me in my uh, processing as a teenager and young adult because I would I would basically type my thoughts into Google and see if anyone had any sort of similar <laughs> ideas. Yeah. And so through those searches, I found the Gay Christian Network. Um, well, now at the time, Gay Christian Network. Now it's uh, Queer Christian Fellowship. But yeah, so I would find blogs from authors that wrote for Q Christian Fellowship um, that that were helpful for me in understanding kind of where I'm at. And then I read, towards the end of my college career, I read uh, Spiritual Friendship by Wes Hill. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge turning point for me because I was reading someone for the first time who had openly identified as gay and still maintained a traditional sexual ethic Mm. and i didn't know those two things could be compatible um i knew that it wasn't good for me to wish my gay desires away and i knew that you know like conversion therapy were harmful and painful for a lot of people but i didn't quite know what to do with myself after that but after kind of seeing the representation in a book from West Hill, that was kind of like a light bulb in the back of my head to say, oh, wait, maybe I can identify as gay. Maybe that's not such a big deal. Maybe the word gay is just a descriptor and doesn't really say much else about you besides the fact that you are attracted to someone of the same sex. And so even that book was just so good for me. And then, of course, uh, well, actually, this is kind of more recently, really, I was going to talk about it as if it's been years ago, but even just last year, going to Revoice, I went to the, I went to Revoice both years in a row, and the first year I went, just interacting with so many other LGBT Christians um, within the historic, traditional sexual ethic, whatever you want to yeah. call that side mm-hmm. B, um, uh-huh. all of that, um, uh, interacting with so many folks. From that community was a whole other turning point for me because then I sort of realized kind of where I'm at now where I no longer see my sexuality as a thorn in the flesh because truthfully I think everybody's sexuality is a thorn in the flesh Mm -hmm. but I think sometimes we're encouraged to think about um, queer sexuality as a much larger thorn in the flesh when really mm. we're just all wrestling with uh, what to do with sex and sexuality and all of that. Um, so now, now I'm at a point where I, I no longer view that as a thorn. I see a lot of ways that that's been a gift for me. A lot of ways that being gay has been beneficial for my life, for my faith, for my relationships. Yeah, so that's... My journey in like a five, 10 minute nutshell. And it's still ongoing. And I'm still, you know, because I can't talk about that journey as if it's over. And yeah, as if I'm not going to continue to think things and reframe things in my head. And there are probably ways that I'm viewing sexuality and my faith in God in unhealthy ways that I'm going to deconstruct over the years. Mm. Um, but that's where I'm at now. And I like it (laughs) and it's, it's been really good for me. Um, so yeah,
0: that's really, yeah. And I think that's a really good point that we many times love to talk to people as if they've come to the point and Hey, the road is complete and I've arrived finally to the perfect place when really none of us are there. If we're being honest, we're, we're getting a view still along the road where there's still more to be, um, experienced there's still more to learn even as you were talking about with reading the bible you know yeah yeah and so it's always just about that this is where god has brought me so far and yet i can't even know where he's going to take me in the future so
1: absolutely
0: yeah and as part of you reconciling your faith and sexuality you know you've decided to live celibate right right and in the last episode uh, we talked to peter volk and we're talking a little bit about how there's many people in our culture, and even Christians, who see celibacy as something almost impossible to live. Right. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on how would you interact with someone who has those concerns or were to bring those concerns to you about whether or not celibacy is impossible and a correct choice for a
1: Christian? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, Ah, truthfully, celibacy can definitely feel impossible sometimes. (laughs) Oh, can't Um, it? You know, like, (laughs) that's my biggest thing is I feel like I'm in so many conversations with other celibate queer Christians. And I feel, and maybe this is a defense mechanism, but I think so many of us talk about it as this final concrete place we've arrived to where it's like oh well i am celibate and so i've never had a sexual thought after that not me (laughs) (laughs) like no um it doesn't work like that so i think i think it's definitely a struggle and as in depending on where you are in life what kind of community you're in i think it's definitely really difficult yeah so even just for me i can share a little bit yeah. About my own life. So, I mean, I first of all, let's just start here. I'm a gay 20 something. Like, sex is like there. And mm-hmm. that can definitely feel overwhelming. You know, if I were to respond to someone who says, you know, celibacy is impossible, I really just have to kind of meet them with that recognition of, yeah, like, celibacy is really hard. Mm-hmm. So many of the people I'm interacting with, um, like uh, even just like other gay twenty somethings in or out of the church, sex is such a prevalent thing. it's so easy for me to go and hook up with somebody if I wanted to, mm-hmm. and in addition to that, you know, I moved to a community it's um it's been improving this past year, but you know I've moved to a community where I don't have a well for a while I didn't have. A substantial uh, church community happening. I didn't really have a concrete group of friends. A lot of my close friends are actually long distance friendships, so I can call them anytime I want to. But it's a little different when they're not in person. And so all of these factors make celibacy seem really difficult. Now, is it impossible? I mean, Definitely not impossible, <laughs> um, you know I would like i I wouldn't be living out the vocation of celibacy if it were impossible and I, I find myself to be a pragmatic person where if something doesn't seem practical it's really hard for me to dive into it. It's really hard for me to commit to it, and I see celibacy as practical. I see it as beneficial for our communities for me it's an it's allowed me more room to just be open with people who need openness. And I think it's really easy to overlook people who need that extra openness when you have, and not saying that you can't do this if you're married with children or if you're in a dating relationship or if you're in, uh, or I don't know, like a lot of different circumstances. I think, yeah, obviously those people in those circumstances can do community just fine but I think it's easy to sometimes overlook people who also just don't have community. So something that celibacy has shown me it's, I feel like it's just given me a keen eye for people who need some court of some sort of extra support. Not that I am, you know, this wealth or this well rather of, you know, overflowing support and affection. Cause that's definitely not me. If you know me, interpersonally you know me you know that i am very warm and affectionate but i have like i run out of energy so quickly basically all the say so like I, I i'm not the person who's going to be reaching out constantly like like some celibate superman that's not me yeah um oh i
0: like that celibate superman sorry honestly, <laughs> Continue.
1: let's trade market get me some royalties I need to pay off some yes. loans um but <laughs> um yeah no. so i don't know uh Anyway, so definitely celibacy is not impossible, but I think it's a lot more difficult if you're not in a community. Absolutely. Um, Celibacy has become more and more uh, practical for me, let's say, (laughs) as I get connected with a rich church community, Mm -hmm. as I continue to build close friendships with people who are near and far, Mm -hmm. and as I continue to just invest in my community overall um, celibacy becomes more and more practical because when you're living life in isolation or just on your own in some sort of way, we look for intimacy in ways that seem like it will be a quick return. So sex obviously being one of those things, it's, you know, hookup culture is a very quick return of what feels like intimacy in the moment but then you leave and you're like oh well that wasn't like that person doesn't know me when really we're craving this deep deep relational intimacy that we can't find purely in sex purely in marriage anything like that not to equate marriage with hookup culture but um i think i think I'm, I'm hoping I'm communicating myself well, but.
0: No, uh, I think it's a really good point. Like yeah. that as, as you were saying, well, I, I, you had multiple, multiple great points in that, first of all, we need to start talking about celibacy, uh, being being honest that it's hard. It's not impossible, yeah, but it's hard. Right, right. And I have one friend who I love. I love what he calls himself. He's like, I'm an aspiring celibate.
1: Yes, I love and- <laughs> that. Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> and I know a lot of church people would shun at that, like, so you're not actually celibate. And I'm like, well, at least he's honest. Right. Like, I feel like Jesus would honor that so much more of like him being, you know what? I'm not perfect at this, but it is no. I, I know that it's what I'm called to. And I think in order for celibacy to be something real, we need to give people the space to be honest and vulnerable about like, yes, I'm trying to be celibate. Am I always perfect at it? No. Right. And that's a real thing. And in, if we ever hope that um, – I think there's that, and I think that on, on top of that, that is compounded by our church many times gives in to the – obsession with sex that our culture has yeah and in order to be connected you know not sex is good like i think the hard part we have as a church is we need to emphasize that yes sex is a good thing but at the same time like in, intimacy is not automatically sex sex is not right. automatically intimacy there is intimacy um that is beyond that does not include sex and it's something that our culture just doesn't understand much anymore because the moment that there's intimacy, there's automatically equated to be sex there. Right. And it, it hurts the cel- celibate cult, like celibate people because then we feel like in our culture standards, we're not having intimacy because we're not having sex. Right. Um, so yeah, I know. Believe me, I love that term. When my friend, for I first heard that term a while ago. Um, I'm not going to say who it is because I don't know if he wants people knowing that he says that. Yeah. But um, I have always fallen in love with that term because I'll be honest. When I first became celibate, I was not good at it.
1: Um, yeah.
0: I wasn't good. I slept around, and I, I, you know, um, I. It's so easy to make our stories seem like, for instance, when I left, like my ex and decided to pursue celibacy, like, oh, yes, it ended, and everything became great, and I was a perfect <laughs> celibate, and it's like, that's not the case.
1: Right, right. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, there is was a friend of mine, which I also won't say their name, just because, I don't know, I, I like hate just like dragging people's names into conversations yeah, don't without worry. their consent. Um, but <laughs> uh, a friend of mine uh, has said before, like they're on a journey towards integrity, mm. and um, I think that's really... Resonates with me in the same way that aspiring celibate resonates with me because I don't know. I I think a way that I've been able to view celibacy that has helped me and alleviated a lot of shame in my life is just to realize that this is a journey. It's not a destination, um, mm. which you know I know is in every single Tumblr board ever. Um, if Tumblr even has a board, I haven't used Tumblr in years. Um, but um, but yeah. But honestly, it's true. Um, you know, I I don't see the life of celibacy as a place where once we finished messing up, now we can call ourselves celibate gay Christians. I don't think that's the situation at all. Um, I think we, like you said, I think we just need to be honest with ourselves. And I think if more of us were honest with ourselves and we allowed more room for conversations about sex and what our experiences have been, I think it's going to be a lot easier to walk fully into celibacy and not be afraid, not be ashamed, because I think the thing that keeps us most from celibacy is shame, whether it's the shame of our, you know, past activities or if it's the shame of, which I know a lot of us wrestle with, the shame of saying I'm celibate in a sexualized culture. Mm Mm-hmm both of those things cause immense shame. And I think it just kind of uh, corners us into this position where we feel like we need to abandon celibacy or we feel like we're not good enough to call ourselves celibate or whatever the situation is. Um, So, yeah, I think it's just really about being honest and really, you know, it's difficult, but There are a lot of things in life that are difficult, (laughs) and not to minimize celibacy at all. But I I think sometimes we can get into this mindset of, like, oh, well, celibacy is difficult, so it's just not for me. Mm. When in reality, the Christian life is difficult, the Christian life is sacrifice. Um, It's not different. It's no different for queer Christians. I think it's just that sometimes we're beat over the head with how difficult it is. And I think a lot of people. In the church, you know, want it to be more difficult for LGBT Christians because then it's not as hard for them. Yeah. When in reality, the call that we have to celibacy is a higher calling for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's not just this higher calling that's just dumped on our heads and it's like, oh, good luck. I hope you can not have sex and give up children or, you know, and I know there's a lot of celibate gay Christians who have children as well, but um, I know there's a lot of people in our community who have given up the desire to have kids. And yeah, so there are, I don't know, I, I just think we're met so much with the rhetoric that our life is just a life of suffering, but I think all of our lives are suffering. Absolutely. Um, but I think we don't, I, I would say a majority culture doesn't really have a good understanding of what suffering actually means, and so because of that, by contrast, it appears as though we are doing the majority of the suffering. Which, in and another point too, that is kind of the tea. Also, <laughs> <laughs> there are me- there is a lot of reasons why LGBT people are suffering immensely too. Yeah. Um, but I think my point really is is that like. If we're going to be in this, in this life where we're suffering, I think all of us need to be suffering equally. <laughs> but ideally, suffering shouldn't exist. I don't know. I feel like I'm just putting my foot in my mouth at this point. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I yeah. get. I, I think
0: the big point is, especially. I think many times the people around us are equally suffering like us, but many times, or maybe not equally suffering, but are suffering more than they're actually talking about. Yeah. And we again do not give space for it. Like for instance, I think it's so easy for our culture to talk about the difficulties and the suffering of celibacy, which then obviously we as celibate Christians are like put in our face continuously. Of man, this is really difficult. But yet in church and in culture, uh, I think actually more in church, more in culture than in church, we are not um, like is we. Well, what I mean is culture is actually better talking about this than church, but especially in church we're shown the beauties of marriage, but not the difficulties of marriage in the same way. Right. When like, when I finally have gotten friends who are married and finally able to be honest, they're like, it is hard. Um, and I was actually talking, uh, I have a really close friend of mine and I went over to her house. We sometimes get together every so often and she's married. And me being celibate, we were sitting down and we were talking about our lives and catching each other up because we hadn't seen each other in months. And she's like, marriage is so much harder than people told me. <laughs> and she's like, I don't regret it, but right. it's difficult. you know." And so I think it's like, I, I think that's also something that is important for celibate people to hear because we many times then only hear from the pulpit, this beauty of marriage and this blessings right. of marriage, which yes, are good. But then we don't realize like that road is filled with suffering too. Right. Um, because we live in a suffering world. And and then many times if we can look at the blessings that we do have in our life, that amongst the sufferings that are there, we are able to see even the beauty among the thorns kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. And I think too also, just to kind of add on to that, I think the suffering that all of us Well, I I think the suffering that comes with the Christian life in general, you know, we, we all have a call to suffering in a lot of ways. I just don't think the church is very good at equally distributing the suffering. I think, like you said, we're, we're met with the beauty of marriage constantly and we're met with the pain of being LGBT constantly. But there's not much of a conversation being had about the sacrifices made for marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's not really much of a conversation about the giftings of LGBT people. And um, I think that kind of backs us into this corner where the weight that LGBT Christians and celibate queer Christians carry is much heavier than the majority of the church because the majority of the church is not being called to that standard. Um, and so I think that's really frustrating too, which makes, well, and it, it, it doesn't even just make celibacy more difficult for us. Like, yes, it makes celibacy more difficult. It makes being LGBT more difficult.
0: Yeah.
1: But in reality, it makes marriage more difficult for people because they i think a lot of people enter into marriage just kind of as expecting bliss and expecting that all the pieces are going to fall together perfectly when they don't and a lot of i know a lot of people who got married and expected their addictions to pornography to just dissipate and that is not real yes. and you know you know in, in a perfect world we would have a perfect perspective of the things we should all be giving up and the things we should all be celebrating. But I think for majority culture Christians, and when I say majority culture Christians, I'm talking about heterosexual, cisgender, white male Christians. um, Mm -hmm. And anyone who falls into any of those pieces of majority culture, I don't think that majority culture really understands what it means. Well, I don't want to say they don't understand what it means to suffer because everybody suffers in some ways. But I I think majority culture has the privilege of celebrating themselves with the least amount of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And I think the rest of us, you know have the, quote unquote, privilege of understanding our suffering and never being able to celebrate.
0: big part for your your community has been what are called committed friendships right you um before we get into discussing it could you give a little bit of a definition for those listening who may not be familiar with the term
1: yeah absolutely so committed friendship can sometimes sound uh I, i feel like i've had some conversations with people who hear me say the word committed friendship and they just they don't quite understand what I'm talking about because it's like, well, okay, like that's cool. Best friends. But you know, for me, the word committed friendship is so, okay. So let me say this. So when, when we hear the word friendship, we just, we often think about like our happy hour pal or our a roommate from college or a work friend, like a work, you know, a casual relationship. When we think of the word friendship, um, we call so many people, our friends, like we'll introduce people as our friends after knowing them for five minutes. And which is great in a lot of ways. Cause I think it opens up, opens our lives up for more connection. But at the same time, I think it does a disservice to what friendship actually is. And so I've gotten around to use the word committed friendship to describe some of my friendships because there really is such a deeper connection and a deeper expectation and obligation to friendships in what I would call a committed friendship. And I was actually thinking about this today. I feel like the way I view my committed friendships, you could probably, for someone who has no concept of what I'm talking about, maybe think of like a platonic engagement. And the reason I don't say platonic marriage is because I think sometimes well in in friendships in general, they're regardless of the commitment level, I think there is a perceived a greater perceived freedom to exit those relationships. Um whereas a marriage by definition and how we understand it in culture and how we understand it through the lens of Christianity is a lot more final and permanent. Um, And not that friendship can't be that, but I think regardless of how I viewed my friendships, I think we've still engaged with them, not in a casual way, but in a way that we, we're just more aware of the reality of the fact that either of us could leave this relationship. It's, it's, It's hard because No matter how committed I am to my friendships, there is always that reality. But at the same time, that reality is for all relationships. Yeah, no. So basically, when when I think of a committed friendship, I think of a relationship with someone, with a friend that I cannot see myself without, someone I need. Not in, a, not in the sense of like, oh, if they left me, I could not go on. Um, yeah. But in a way that I think people talk about spouses of like, oh, I need this person. Like this person is my everything. I can view friendships in similar terms of, you know, this person means the world to me and I'm not going to let them go. And regardless of how friendship is perceived or even how we are perceiving friendship, we are choosing to press on forward in commitment regardless of our personal biases about friendship, of our cultural biases about friendship. Yeah. So, really, for me, committed friendship is a lot about just pushing against those norms and saying, like, I'm going to stick through this relationship regardless.
0: Yeah. You know, you mentioned the book Spiritual Friendships by Leslie Hill yeah. earlier, and I was so impacted by that book. By just the idea of how he said that really our modern concept of friendship has lo- has really brought in this whole idea of any either of us could exit at any point as yeah. like there is no commitment right. of what there really used to be more of in friendship in in previous times, and you know, sometimes the criticism of committed friendships that I will hear from people is like, or spiritual friend. You know, the term spiritual friendships, or right? Friendships is some critics will say, well, us shouldn't all aren't all friendships spiritual? Aren't shouldn't all friendships be committed? And it's like, yeah, they should be. Yeah, but our, our modern understanding of the word means the way we understand friendship now really is very loose and without much commitment and with it uh, wasn't without much intimacy. And absolutely. so that the idea of committed friendship is really trying to revive that ancient, old understanding of friendship that we see so much. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And, and can you tell us a little bit about some of the friendships that you've had in your life that are, you know, kind of fall in this category of committed friendships?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um So I've had the pleasure of having a few relationships in my life that I would consider to fall under that category of a committed friendship. I've been in a committed friendship with a few people. Um, Really, I feel like my committed friendship started in college around the time of reading Spiritual Friendship because I really think it gave me a new uh, perspective on how to treat relationships and friendships Mm -hmm. and so there have been a few people in my life who around that time of reading spiritual friendship and even afterward um even more recent friendships that I've developed I would consider committed friendships and um so I have been best friends with the guy that I met in college um we became very committed friends um and you know, that relationship started out very organically, you know, just kind of meeting each other through working at summer camps and things like that. And then over time, just realizing that our friendship is taking on a much higher calling of commitment, you know, just discovering that in little ways, like over time, feeling the need to tell one another if they're traveling. Like what we do a lot is if we're traveling and we get to our destination, we usually text each other that we're made it there safely. And um, so we, we started noticing things like that, like, Oh, okay. Like these are like things that are more prevalent in other kinds of committed relationships that aren't necessarily seen as platonic. Also just to back on to, this is a straight man that I am in a committed friendship with as yeah. well. So um, that's a whole nother dynamic. That's been <laughs> interesting to figure out. It will always be interesting to figure out. But yeah, so that has been a friendship that has got me through a lot of life and um, there is someone that I trust implicitly and um, someone that's really just been there through so many of my processings. Uh, they were there before I started self-identifying as gay mm-hmm. and then they were there during the process of me coming around to enjoying the word gay and using the word gay. You know, they're for me through all sorts of relational drama, family drama, um, academic struggles, financial struggles. They, you know, and also all the conflicts too. That's another thing. Sometimes I'll open up to another close friend about conflicts that I'm having with this friend in particular, um, my committed friend. And sometimes... I get the response of like, why are you still friends? Like, this is mm-hmm. so much. And I'm like, yeah, this is a lot. <laughs> but um, but that just kind of, I, I I open up about that a little bit just to highlight the commitment in that friendship where a lot of friendships would dissipate after mm. a few conflicts. But we have endured so many. <laughs> and so I think that is really just a test of, you know, where we've been at there are two straight women that I can think of that I consider to be in that category of committed friendship as well. And again, just people that I can't see my life without Um, people that these are people that visit me um, regularly, or um, if they're away, we talk regular, regularly. Yeah. That, that same exact level of commitment where we've decided, you know what, like I love you to death, and I, I'm not gonna, I don't want to envision my future without you. And I've committed friendships with LGBT people as well, um, so it's not just something where I've in committed friendships with straight people for any particular reason. They are just friends that were in my life. But, you know, I also have committed friendships with a, there's a queer woman that I love so much, and she does all sorts of ministry work, and I just think she's incredible. She actually, such a sweet friend. I I texted her like, hey, I'm just having a really awful week. And she lives in, uh, so she lives in a state nearby, but um, definitely not like in somewhere where she can just pop over. Um, But I texted her that I was just having a hard week. And like two days later, she was like, I'll just come visit you. And Mm -hmm. that was just so meaningful to me. Um, You know, so when I think of committed friendships, I think of those people that are going to drop everything for you and you'll drop everything for them, you know, and, and I'm developing committed friendships with people as I go too. like, there's somebody helping me move in like a week and a half from the date of recording. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, someone that I met at Revoice and, you know, they have just entered my life and was just kind of, uh, I don't know, just sort of happen to be really close friends. And so they're going to help me move and things and which moving in itself is like, I think that bonds people a lot just because of the process Um, and all the emotions that go into moving anyway. So I, I share these bits and pieces of these friendships to sort of give a overview of the kinds of relationships I have in my life and the dynamics that I have, you know, we don't have time for me to individually go into every single friendship I have, but you know th- these are the people that I see as my circle, and um you know people that are family to me, and yeah, you know I don't say that lightly, like they are absolutely family you know if i I don't have a will, um maybe I don't know I'm but anyway, so I don't have a will, but if I were to have a will today, um they would all be on it, hopefully not accruing my debt, hopefully just getting the good stuff but um yeah like these are people that I do not want to see life without I refuse to see life without them and yeah they've blessed my life so much and I hope that I have done the same for them
0: absolutely you know I I love what you said about the conflicts that you had with your friend and how people were like why are you still friends with them and how I, I think you really hit on a good point that a big part of committed friendship is the fact that you're the commitment that you're going to stay together even among conflicts that normally would break up a friendship.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And I think that's so key because, you know, even in an earlier episode, I talked about um, my adopted brother and my, my all of my adopted siblings who are from the family in Colombia that I live with. And, you know, I'll share with other people sometimes just kind of venting when going through conflicts and some, some a lot of times people get so confused of like why don't you just like end the friendship and i'm like because that's not like the point here like yeah yeah i'm not i'm not just breaking up because this is more than just what you would normally this is more than what our culture would put as a friendship that's why we call each other brothers and sisters yeah yeah because that's the closest term that we have for what our relationship is is it's a family you know right. and we are in that in that kind of situation where you're like yes this is this is for life whether we like it or not no matter how much we drive each other crazy we're there and i also love how your uh, your friendships are made up both of queer people and straight people yeah and i i think that's so amazing because i think a lot of times when we when we start these conversations about committed friendships our automatic assumption is that oh it's going to be two queer people Right, right, and two queer women, which is the case for many people, yeah, absolutely, but then we forget that this isn't just one thing, this isn't just a concept for queer people, this is a concept for humans
1: yes, oh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. we all know commitment i and I love that so much too, because I think a lot of times queer people are often the people with these sorts of committed friendships, like you know, regardless of where someone's faith may lie you know whether they are uh lgbt christian or they're an lgbt atheist for example i think the concept of committed friendship is going to inherently make sense to lgbt people because we all of us have a chosen family and you know whether that has come from you know good circumstances or bad circumstances that have led to our chosen families All of us have a chosen family. And so I think it makes more sense for us when we're having this conversation to understand committed friendships among queer people because I think all queer people have committed friendships. We have, you know, second mothers, second fathers, uncles, siblings, aunties, people we consider our cousins and, you know, even children. So I I think that's that's a relational... Uh, dynamic that I think a lot of us can just understand as LGBT people. And I love that so much about the LGBT community. Like, come on, folks, are we not Absolutely. the prophets of the 21st century? Um, but um, yeah, no, but but I think the beautiful part of the committed friendships and chosen families that we have in our community is that we can show that to the rest of the world. And I think everyone wants that. You know, I think everybody wants intimacy in relationships. There's not a single person that I can think of that wouldn't want that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just that sometimes we don't realize that 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 can be found in a platonic friendship. And Mm -hmm. so that's been one of my favorite things, too, is to develop committed friendships with straight people um, and have conversations with them about friendship as well and just kind of see where, you know, before my friendship with them, have they... Thought of friendship in this kind of committed way, and um, for some of them not some of them have actually, which is so incredible to me that they exist in the first place but yeah it, it's not it's not just a queer Christian concept, it is a human concept like you said, and I think that's a beautiful thing, and I think that's you know one of my favorite things um, that i that I think celibate queer Christians in particular have a really good I just think we have a really great opportunity to be examples of that kind of committed friendship.
0: Other kind of sector of committed friends that I have is I have a group of friends who Michelle, who's been on the podcast before, her and I are part of it. We talked a little bit about our friend group. And, you know, one thing after I read Spiritual Friendships, I read about how he he advocated that French French friends should start having anniversaries.
1: Yes. I love that. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I was rereading Spiritual Friendships this year. Yeah. And I went to my friend group with Michelle and all of them, and I was like, we need, a, we need an anniversary. I was like, we've been friends for multiple years. We need to start this. And actually this November, we are going to start having an anniversary. <gasps> oh my us.
1: gosh. Oh, I love that. <laughs>
0: right? And I'm like, I'm really excited. And because, so yeah, because it's like we have committed that we are going to be in each other's lives. And it yes, it confuses people that's fine because i think we are trying to push for this return as you said as a prophetic voice of this is what god meant for friendship
1: oh i love that absolutely yeah yeah let's just all have friend of hers but not even to call it a friend of hers because i think that can be so cliche and hallmarky like yeah i mm-hmm. love that you're just calling it an anniversary that's beautiful yeah
0: yeah absolutely and so i don't even know what it's gonna look like we're gonna figure it out we'll probably share about it on here
1: yeah i love (laughs) that man about to text all my friends
0: everyone out there have anniversaries with yes
1: oh my goodness even
0: us it was really fun we were when we decided to do an anniversary we were trying to figure out but what's the date gonna be
1: yeah oh my
0: gosh and For inspiration for everyone out there, we finally put it back, what we decided to use as the date of our our anniversary is um, we finally one day we all made a trip to Islands of Adventure together. And it was just random, but it was really the first time that we all, like, the four of us hung out together and had, like, a day together. Oh. And we were like, that, that's pr- that pretty much, in a sense, was we had been kind of hanging out before that, oh. but that was really the first time we had hung out, the four of us, for a day together. So we're like, that's going to be the day. And Michelle, being the planner that she is had it on her date on her oh, calendar when it happened and so, so cute <laughs> yeah it was really it was really cool so i'm excited to see what that looks like wow, but wow i love yeah. that and again even that friendship it's two 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 straight girls you know my my adopted brother ed and me and so it's just it's not what normally people would think of but
1: yet oh, it's that's it amazing works.
0: so then um can you share a little bit about how your friendships point you to jesus
1: Oh, yeah. So I actually thought about this recently. Um, So I have a friend who is a pastor, another person who I'm like slowly but surely like working into my understanding of committed friendships. Um, So if he's listening, love you. No, but um, so he texted me the the other day that um, he was bringing communion to people in hospitals who um, like couldn't make it to church to receive communion. And uh, when, he, when he talked about that, that really reminded me about the way I understand my friendships pointing me back to Christ. Um, for me, my committed friendships have kind of been like the minister who brings communion to you when you're in the hospital. Like when I am not strong enough myself to physically meet Christ, to go and seek Christ out on my own, they have just brought Christ to me, um, meeting me where I'm at, not expecting me to get out of my bed or get out of where I'm feeling or whatever the case may be. Um, But just sitting with me and being there with me in that intimate moment rather than, yeah, like, you know, obviously I I hope they expect good things of me, but um, really they've been people who have been able to bring the gospel to me when I, in these moments where I have just not been there, where I didn't want to, and where I... I just didn't feel either spiritually strong enough, emotionally strong enough, whatever the case may be. Um, Yeah, and I'm so thankful for them for that because I think in our 21st century American context, for most of us who are listening to this, I know some of you are probably not from the States, um, but um, I think we get into this very individualistic mindset when it comes to our faith. And we think that our faith rests upon whether or not we're having quiet times every day and whether or not we are reading a cute little devotional book every day and um, whatever that might look like, which those things aren't inherently bad, but those things have not been a lot of what my past year has been. Mm-hmm. And so, this past year, I've really had friends who have been able to show me who Christ is when I've been, when I have felt burned by a church or when I have felt uh, like I have made a mistake beyond repair. Um, they really showed me what it is to seek Christ in those moments where you're not the picture perfect celibate gay Christian. Um yeah. So, yeah, I think in those ways, my friends point me back to Christ.
0: Wow, you're going to make me cry. Oh, so, well, no, it's so true yeah. because yeah. I think about that. Like, that's what it's been in my life of, you know, being very vulnerable. Like, I deal with chemical imbalance depression mm. issues, something I've dealt with, you know, all my life. And my friends have been some of the people that I wouldn't have gotten through those episodes without them they're the ones who no matter how much i want to punch them in the face they come to my door when i don't want people in my house you know because they know that i need it or i love how you said it like they're the priest that goes to me in the hospital yeah communion. like that's such a perfect image of they can be jesus in my life when i can't get to him absolutely bring him so that's ah man i love it I love uh, talking about all this. Like you, I know. <laughs> yes, that's so good. Well, taking a little bit of a break, I wanted to have a fun segment with you. Yes, let's
1: do so it.
0: So we are going to we are going to launch a new segment, you and me, that I have been mulling over in my brain for a while, called Side B or not Side B.
1: Yeah, I need like a
0: Shakespearean voice. Side B or not Side B? No. <laughs> um. Maybe maybe when, this, maybe when this podcast gets a little bit of money, we can actually have an introduction.
1: Um, Hello, so, sound effects. Where are you? I know, right? <laughs>
0: uh, so how this is going to work is I, well, I'll first, I'm, I'm going to do a few examples and to get it going to help you understand a little bit about how this is going to work. And then if Perfect. you have some examples, you can throw them at me. would love that. So I'm going to throw out different, culture pieces whether movies music whatever and you are going to rate how side b they are or not ooh, i okay. love this is there a the,
1: scale or is it just ooh, like side b or not should we, we use
0: a kinsey scale <laughs> ooh, <yeah>. <laughs> ah! <laughs> yes oh my goodness yeah i don't know we can come up with it yeah we okay can. however um i wow. haven't gotten that far okay but we can maybe go for a Kinsey scale, zero to six, six being oh, wow. so yes. uber, <laughs> zero being totally straight. Um, Love that. You know, also just being generally LGBT, we got to fit that mm-hmm. in there somewhere. Um, the so in our previous episode, actually, I mentioned once so we'll start out with that, that I was saying that I was very fascinated by it was the movie Captain Marvel. Have you seen that movie?
1: Okay, so confession. Okay. I am not like a superhero person really. Like I really only okay, but That's here fine. okay. But this might also be a pretty side B thing. Like I am only really drawn to Batman, like the lone sort of dark brooding mystery. Uh, okay. So anyway, which I think Batman's pretty side B. Um, but so I no, see- I, haven't, I haven't seen Captain Marvel.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I, I love that movie. I already explained about it in the, episode, the past episode. But I love it because she doesn't have a romantic interest. Mm-hmm. But it's just her and her friend and it's amazing so you should watch captain marvel because okay
1: well it sounds pretty b to me so i'm gonna write that a six yes absolutely
0: (laughs) my other one that i've been thinking about with the coming out of the lion king soon timon and
1: pumbaa (gasps) oh oh that is like all the way six side b right i was thinking about it I, i never thought of that
0: i was watching a trailer online with my nieces and nephews and it, there was one trailer that was just about Timon and Pumbaa. I'm like,
1: oh my gosh, I love their friendship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talk about committed friendships. Right? <laughs> Literally Timon and Pumbaa. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I love that. And side note on Timon and Pumbaa, I don't know if you've ever seen Lion King One and a Half. One and a half. I haven't. Okay. I it's It's honestly, so a lot of people like crap on it because it's, Doesn't really add much. It's like kind of like a behind the scenes Lion King. Yeah. Um. But I just love it because you get to see the inner workings of like everybody's friendship. So I really just think Timon and Pumba, and even their relationship to Simba, that's a whole side B situation.
0: Oh, it so is. It's so amazing. But um, okay, next one. This is me from Greatest Showman.
1: Ooh. Yes or no? Uh, Ah. Okay, so here's my thing with Greatest Showman, and just movies and musicals in general. I am generally captivated by, like, the big picture, but I forget smaller... Can you just remind me, This Is Me? Which one is This Is Me? This is a song by the Bearded Lady. Uh, <gasps> oh, my gosh! Oh, my gosh! Okay, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where they're all talking about, like, being themselves and, like... Yes. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um... Okay, side B, um, or it might. Okay, I think that song that moment is LGBT in general. I'm not sure if I would it's
0: agree with that.
1: Just specifically side B, though. I
0: okay. would go with that.
1: Yeah, like I, I think it's like a more broad than just side B.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, my next one is. So but you get, are you getting the hang of it?
1: Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. Okay,
0: good, awesome, yes. awesome. Okay, my next one that I've been thinking about has been Ben Platt's new album.
1: Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um, okay, so here's my, okay. Uh, this is so hard. Um because, so I think this might be another situation where I feel like it's LGBT in general and not yeah. and maybe not just specifically side B.
0: Which I could uh, take that.
1: Yeah, because like I think there's a lot of, uh, I just feel like with music, there are so many concepts that like, we feel so deeply as side B people that I think, like I think we th- think of it in unique sort of like ways as side B people. I think this is another situation where it's like LGBT in general, but maybe not specifically Side B, but it is pretty side B. Um, it is. It's, it, it's true it's a, Yeah. That's, that's
0: honestly, you know, it's really funny with movies, movies and music, how, for instance, when I watched "Frozen" for the first time, because yes. I'm a big yeah. Disney geek, <laughs> for me, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that movie was all about being LGBT.
1: Right, right.
0: But then I was talking to some women that were like, No, it's all about being a woman. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, yes, but no.
1: <laughs> like you're wrong.
0: <laughs> you're you're I I'll accept your wrongness, but you're wrong.
1: Right, right. <laughs> it's okay for now, but like But no. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Oh, man. Well, do you have any culture things that you feel like are really side B that you
1: Ooh, would- um Okay, well, since you said Lion King, it just reminds you of everybody from Lion King. But can we just talk about Rafiki? How Rafiki is definitely the gay, like in the church community who just kind of take everyone under their wing and just kind yes. of like this wise, mysterious, mystical person that's just giving you all the right insights at all the right times.
0: I love it. Yes absolutely he's like the celibate gay pastor
1: yes yes he is <laughs> who like you maybe don't realize instantly like oh they're celigate like you don't realize that at first but then like in retrospect you like go back to think like oh wait that guy was totally a celigate
0: exactly totally
1: there's no other explanation for that
0: um i i yeah absolutely i read that yeah 100 percent
1: um, also, ooh, now I'm just thinking of like, all these fictional characters that are definitely side B. Um, but I, oh man, it's so hard to sp- to pick a specific character from this reference. But I think I'm just gonna say in general yeah. the concept of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, I could totally see that. Right? It, yes. Like that everybody, so every single every single character. Because I was going to say, like, oh, maybe Piglet or maybe just Pooh. No, I think they're all Selegays. They
0: are. That's like a Selegay community. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's
1: honestly, it's an intentional living community.
0: It is an intentional living community. I <laughs> love <on> it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The yes. lessons from Winnie the Pooh never end.
1: Honestly, like, we need to really go back and, like, just understand how much of a gift Winnie the Pooh was.
0: <laughs> yeah. So good with all of that. So, everyone listening, um, if you have cultural references that you think embody what it means to be Side B, send them to me, whether through Instagram or Facebook or the um, life on Side B podcast at gmail.com. Send them to me. I would love to get them and we can discuss them here on the podcast. Um, so, with that, before we go, is there anything else that you would like to share before we go? Whether related to committed friendships or whatever.
1: Hmm. Well, committed friendships are really cool. Yeah. <laughs> They're really great. Just one thing, I feel like uh, a lot of times people have questions for me of like, how did you like find a committed friendship, or how do you find a committed friendship? Um, mm, that's a good one. Quick answer to that: you don't. I feel like they find you more often than not. Um, <laughs> I feel like I found my most committed friendships when I just started looking at the people around me and trying to understand the ways that I can commit to them and ways that I can embody commitment to them, as opposed to trying to find this perfect situation where, you know, I'm going to find the perfect person to commit my life to. And that's it. You know, I I think more, and I think Wes Hill mentioned this in spiritual friendship also that a lot of times the people who are going to be in our lives as those committed friends are already there. It's Mm -hmm. just that maybe we haven't recognized their friendship or maybe we haven't worked at that friendship. So if someone is wondering, how do I have a friendship like that? Um, look around you. Um, I would dare to say that the committed friend you're looking for, probably you already know them. Um, but yeah, just, I don't know. We're just, I think we attract the relationships that we ourselves are able to embody. So if we're able to embody committed friendship, committed friendships will find us.
0: Yeah. That's an, that is a great point and especially a great one to end on. I love it. I love it so much. So for everyone listening, um, if you would like to get in contact with Joe to, to talk more about committed friendships or queer issues or side B issues or whatever, his contact information and his details are going to be in Uh, The episode description as well. Also at the end of this season, I'm going to be doing a Q and a, episode on different questions that people have following up on all of the different episodes. So if there's other questions that you have, not only from this episode, but from previous episodes, as well as the ones going forward that you would like to hear more about, um, send those questions into me, whether through the social media of the podcast or through the email. Again, the email is Podcast at gmail.com. And what I'm going to be doing is the, the questions that we get back, I'm gonna be following up with some of the people that we've interviewed here to get um, some more answers on those issues. Also, um, I just wanna ask again for everyone, if you listen through Google or Apple or wherever you listen to, if you're able to review the uh, podcast, please do so. It helps us um, get more visibility so more people can find the podcast. So thanks again, Joe, for talking with me.
1: Oh, thank you so much for I having me. It. This has yes. been amazing. I love yes. this conversation.
0: Oh, I do too. We need to. We need to talk. We need. We just need to talk more.
1: Yes, please. Yes, absolutely. I loved
0: when we first met at the first revoice.
1: Oh my um, gosh, I know. Oh, I yes. still think of that. Before we started recording, I was like, oh my gosh, like I totally remember meeting you, and that was yeah, oh, Great. so
0: good. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys.
1: Bye.